Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. How should we think through the different major religions of our time? Are they all the same? What are their differences? In this presentation, philosopher of religion Dale Tuggy works through key questions that can help us differentiate and distinguish religions from each other. In the second half of his talk, he invites the audience to diagnose various quasi-religious perspectives popular in our culture today before offering comments on each. This is a really fascinating talk and well worth your time. Here is Podcast 146, Apologetics Conference 4, Are All Religions the Same? with Dale Tuggy. So my name is Dale Tuggy. I'm a philosopher of religion. What I'm going to present to you right now is based on about 17 years of trying to learn about different religions. So my question is, are all religions the same? And some people will tell you that they are. And the short answer, and I didn't make this up, I stole it from another guy that I'll tell you about in a minute. The short answer is, why sure, all religions are the same, so long as you ignore all the differences. Um, a famous guy in religious studies named Ninian Smart distinguished seven, seven different aspects of religious traditions. He calls them, and this is the top of the handout, the practical and ritual side of religion, the experiential and emotional side of religion, uh, the narrative dimension, the doctrinal and philosophical dimension, the ethical and legal dimension, the social and institutional dimension, and the material dimension. In other words, like their art, what kind of buildings they make, and things like that. And religions differ in all of those ways. I mean, they're just incredibly different. So if someone says all religions are the same, uh, they might just be telling you that they don't care about the differences which honestly is kind of ignorant because these differences obviously matter, right? They're going to affect how you raise your kids, who you worship, and so on, even what kind of things you eat, right? Maybe they just don't know, and that's part of it. Or maybe they uh, have bought into some strange theory according to which all religions are really the same and what really matters, which I'll get to in a second. One thing that philosophers distinguish is religious diversity from religious pluralism. So religious diversity is just the fact that there are different religions. People have allegiance to different religions. They do different things. They believe different things. Do Christians celebrate religious diversity? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we think it's a good thing that people are able to follow their conscience and do what they think is right. They're, they're exercising their God-given freedom, right? So in that sense, religious diversity is a good thing. But you know, also we think when Jesus comes back, religious diversity is going to be significantly reduced, <laughs> right? Maybe they'll still be Baptists and Methodists, I don't know, but anyway, there probably aren't going to be Buddhists, right? When Jesus is in charge of the world and uh, the knowledge of God covers the earth like the ocean covers the bottom of the ocean. So religious diversity, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's good that people are able to do what they think is right. That's their God-given right. Um, religious pluralism, and sometimes people use the word pluralism just to mean diversity. So this is a little confusing. But in philosophy, religious pluralism is a view, it's a theory 
that all religions are in some ways equally good. Now, they don't ever really mean all religions. You know, there's some religions that are just kind of pitiful and they're going to go nowhere. Have you ever heard of Satanism, like as founded in the 1960s by this clownish guy named Anton LaVey? He was a former uh, carny. He was playing organ at the carnival. Uh, and then he shaved his head and got a pointy goatee and said he was a Satanist. And he wrote the Satanic Bible that every mentally disturbed teenage white boy reads. Um, which is a very silly and boring book. It's not really a Bible in any sense. It was written by this former carny. But anyway, um, in the 60s, people thought this was a really interesting religion. and would let you have ceremonies that had naked young ladies in them. But the Satanic Bible has as its main teaching, do as you will. Well, good luck with that religion, buddy. Try teaching that to your kids. Do as you will. In other words, whatever you want to do, do. This is going nowhere. I mean, only a few silly dabblers are going to even care about it. So who wants to say that's the same as Islam or Christianity? Nobody. So they never really mean that all religions are the same. You know, in some, you know, Christian identity, you know, only white people are good. This is kind of crazy Nobody thinks that's equally good with Catholicism. So they're always excluding some. They're, they're sort of, they'll talk a big game like they think they're all equal, but they never think they're all equal. But the biggest question is if someone says all religions are equal or they're all equally good or it basically doesn't matter which one you pick, you should ask, well, in what way are they equal? It turns out whatever way you pick, it's, there's kind of problems. So, well, let me say this. There are certain crowds of people uh, for whom this is a dogma that all religions are equal. The main, the main crowds would be modern Hindus and religious studies professors and certain, you know, kind of uh, upper-class college-educated people that maybe had a class from one of those professors. So you may run into these people. Um, look, if you say all religions are true... Just logically, all, that the, all their teachings are true. That just can't be right, you know. Uh, some religions teach that there's no God, like Buddhism and Jainism. And well, we think there's a God, and the Jews think there's a God. So like, they just can't both be right, you know, just as a matter of logic. So that, that goes nowhere. Or it could be something like Christians and Muslims believe in one God, but the Muslim teaching is that the last and greatest revelation of the one God is this prophet Muhammad, and Christians think that the last and greatest revelation of God is Jesus, the Messiah. And those cannot both be true. They can't both be the last and greatest revelations. They're not the same guy. Okay. Yeah, the all true kind of just falls down as soon as you start to think about it at all. Um, sometimes they might mean that all religions or, okay, all the respectable ones that educated people enjoy playing around with, um, they all have equally good effects on their adherents or good effects on the wider world. Really? I mean, that's an empirical question. You'd have to actually study that and look at the, look at the people. And you can't just say that as an article of faith. I mean, how would you know that? Just, oh, I, I can just tell right now that they all have equally good effects. Wow, man. You've got superpowers, don't you? Now, there, there is something that's true in the area, which is, a system can't get to be a major world religion unless it works pretty well. So just to use as an example, uh, Hindus or Buddhists, uh, are they in favor of marriage? 
yes, at least for not for monks and nuns, but yes, generally, marriage is good. Motherhood, yes. Adultery, boo, we're against that. Stealing, no, we don't like stealing. On moral questions, there's going to be a lot of common sense overlap. Well, it wouldn't have got to be a big world religion unless it worked well enough with human nature. So, but this is kind of a trivial point. I mean, here's a comparison. Think about any of the fad diets you've ever run across. You know, I'm going to only eat grapefruit. I'm going to only eat meat. I'm going to eat only raw vegetables, whatever. They wouldn't get to be fad diets unless they worked okay, at least for a lot of people, right? If it was like the all-arsenic diet or the all-beer diet, (laughs) it would just fall on its face immediately, right? Go nowhere. Okay, so these religions that have been around a long time, like just to be passed on to generations and to even just appear halfway plausible to smart people, like they ha- there has to be uh, some truth there and, it ha- and, it ha- and some good ethical values. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got to be popular. Right? Little cults and so on that have, uh, you know, everybody can have sex with everybody. Oh, that works really great for about six months. And everybody hates everybody. Right? And then the whole thing just blows apart and it's all over. Right? It's little communes try this over and over. You'll never get a big, a big long-lasting tradition that way. Okay, so do they have good effects on the world? They have to or they wouldn't still be around. A good effect could just be um, valuing monogamy and marriage and parents being responsible to their children and things like that. Some pluralists think that all religions involve interacting with the same being. Really? That's interesting. How would you tell that? that? That's a tough question to answer. I mean, that's not what the people in the religions think. Take Buddhists, uh, they might think they're interacting with the Buddha, and they don't think that's the same being as God. So you're going to swoop in and say, no, they're really all interacting with the same being. That's a theory. Out of all the theories I've heard today, that's one of them, but... I can't say a lot more about it. Um, there, are, there are philosophers that have tried to develop this. Sometimes a pluralist means that all religions will equally well get you the cure, whatever religion is supposed to get a person. Someone might say you can be saved or you can be reconciled to God through any religion. Really? A religion that doesn't involve belief in God is going to reconcile you to God? Strange. Or if you think the cure is you know, obtaining nirvana... How is a religion that doesn't believe in nirvana and never talks about it and doesn't try to do anything to get that goal, how are they going to magically get that goal anyway? So it's not very plausible. Now, when I said a while ago, someone that says all religions are the same might be in the grip of a theory. If you ever read uh, books about religions, there's uh, an author named Houston Smith. And this guy sold millions of books. And uh, he was a big-time sort of kind of an educated religious tourist. Like, he would go around and, like, try out all the different religions, and he kind of thought he could sort of combine them. But uh, the view that he eventually comes up with, and it's very strange, but the basic thought of it is there's an essential core that's the same in all religions, just some kind of mystical experience. And so in that way, all religions are the same. They all, they all involve the same unusual experience of something or other. Okay, but it's hard to swoop in as an outsider, someone who's not a member of that religion, and say, I'll tell you what really matters here, my friends. I'll tell you what's really essential. All this other stuff doesn't matter, but what's really essential is what I say. 
Okay, Mr. Professor, that's interesting that you think you can determine what's essential to all religions. But that, that's a view that you will run across sometimes um, if you're reading books. And that, that's a problem with reading books about religions, by the way, is that the person might um, have some really wacko ideology, frequently pluralistic in some way. Another ideology that especially textbook authors will have is that you know, theistic religions are all patriarchal and authoritative and boring. And uh, the Eastern religions are so much more just kind of integrated and groovy and free-flowing. And just, it's a lot of grown hippies that were disillusioned by everything Western. And they have a very kind of romantic, naive view of everything non-Western. And so they're kind of seeing what they want to see in it. But anyway, when I was looking for a world religions textbook to develop a course on world religions at the college uh, where I was teaching... I, I went through maybe more than a dozen books, and a lot of them were just inaccurate uh, because the author had some weird bias. At the bottom of the handout, I recommend a good book in that. But Okay, so there's all these different aspects of religion. Religions are wildly different in the stories they tell, in the art they produce, in their institutional structure. To me, out of those seven dimensions of religion, the one that's really foundational is the doctrinal and philosophical. It's what they teach about reality that's really key. If you understand that, you will then be able to understand the artwork, the institutional structure, the experiences and emotions, uh, the rituals. Right? To get it all, you have to understand the teaching. What do they think is real? What do they think about human beings? Do they believe in God or do they believe in some ineffable something? So that's really, I think, what's properly focused on if you want to understand a religious tradition. And a key part of their teaching is four claims. And uh, this is not original to me. I would say nothing in this talk is original to me. This is taking a lot of good stuff from different scholars. Uh, you can talk about a religion's diagnosis, cure, its methods, and its exemplars, or exemplar. And so I want to explain what those are and why this could be relevant to you as you try to think in a Christian way and interact with people who are interested in different religions and even just sort of understand different religions from a Christian perspective. But first, let me say two things that can trip a person up, that can trip a Christian up. Christianity is more doctrinally focused. It's more focused on truth than any other religion. And consequently, we're very quarrelsome. Islam probably comes in second place, but um, we, we care a lot about teaching. I mean, in a sense, it's kind of mostly about the teaching, right? Why do we spend so long on sermons? Why are we so bookish? Why do we write so many books? Why do we read so many books? Why do we take, the, why do we take all this teaching so dang seriously? A lot of religions aren't so much that way. Like, if you just want to be a part of the community and do the rituals, that's cool with them. They don't particularly care what you believe in a lot of cases. This is true of Hindus, especially. Uh, you could believe just about anything, and you could be a Hindu, as long as you keep the food rules, go and keep the holidays, and observe other traditional uh, practices, caste distinctions, and so on. In modern times, Jews are not nearly as doctrinal as Christians. Uh, you could be an agnostic. But, you know, are you showing up for the meetings? Are you keeping whatever rules they think should be kept? Right? They differ about that. So that's one Christian assumption. You should not assume that other religions really care about doctrine and teaching as much as Christians do, because they don't. 
but they generally, that's a little bit less central. Another assumption that Christians have is that uh, there's really one teaching per religion. There's one theology per religion. Nope. It's more complicated. Sorry. So when I talk about diagnosis and cure, different types of Christianity even are going to have wildly different diagnoses and cures. But even more so, different types of Buddhism, different types of Hinduism, different types of Judaism. Suppose someone tells you they're a Christian, okay? You shouldn't assume you know very much about them based on that, right? Do they go to a mainline or liberal church? Uh, are they evangelical? Are they biblical Unitarian? Are they say, oh, I'm Christian, comma, and also Mormon? Well, that's kind of different, you know? Yeah, so if you just find out someone's a Buddhist, you don't hardly know anything about them other than they have some kind of generic loyalty to that brand. And then you have to just keep asking questions. Uh, a Zen person might be totally different than, you know, a Theravadan from Sri Lanka or something. But anyway, so there's four core claims in any religion's any religion is going to teach anything that's you know bigger than like a tiny tribal religion somewhere I think is going to address these questions so there's a diagnosis there's a fundamental problem facing human beings now we got lots of problems don't we we got no shortage of problems but uh, what religions do is they try to say what the basic thing is that's broken uh, the basic thing is that needs fixing so for, you know, New Testament-oriented Christians, the diagnosis is something like uh, human beings are estranged from God because of sin, and so we're subject to sin and death. Okay, but then a religion is going to come along and give the cure. There's a way to positively and permanently resolve that problem. So the way to do, that is, to do this is to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is God's Messiah, through him, through the new covenant, established through his death, resurrection, to be reconciled to God that leads to eternal life. All right, so that's pretty much the diagnosis and cure. And uh, it's a little bit similar to some diagnoses and cures uh, in other religions. So Islam is similar, right? It's, that it's something like uh, people rebel against uh, God, and the cure is to submit to God by adopting all the, the ways of the prophet as explained in the Hadith and the, the Quran. So, I mean, there's a sin and God problem there that's similar. The diagnosis and cure is similar, but it's not the same. Right, another religion is going to be just wildly different. So if you read the, uh, the earliest Buddhist texts, which a lot of people don't, but if you read the earliest ones called the, uh, the Pali Canon, the diagnosis is something like... Um, you're trapped in the realm of rebirth. You're trapped in a realm of just pure suffering and futility. And the cure is to follow the teachings and the noble eightfold path of the Buddha. And this will allow you to escape the cycle of rebirth and to obtain nirvana, whatever that is. So it's escapist, right? Um, the diagnosis is you're stuck in a really horrible place, which is this. And the cure is you got to get out of Dodge. And um, you can get into a big argument about what nirvana involves. And different Buddhists think different things. I mean, if you meet a Western convert to Buddhism, they might just think the diagnosis is um, 
people tend to be selfish and stressed out, and uh, the cure is to practice sitting meditation for 20 minutes a day, and this will make you more compassionate. Like some, something really completely different than what I said before. It doesn't involve anything about life after death or rebirth or anything like that. Rebirth, what other religions call reincarnation. So, so yeah, diagnosis and a cure. If you understand those, I think you understand kind of the heart of any specific religion. And there's also methods and exemplars, so things that you're supposed to do to get the cure. Are you supposed to meditate? What do we think? We think you're supposed to pray, you're supposed to fellowship, you're supposed to confess your sin, you're supposed to be filled with God's spirit. It's going to be completely different in a lot of religions. There's usually some ritual that's prescribed there, certain things to do, certain things to avoid. And then exemplars would be some actual typically historical person who has got the cure and, you know, imitate them. And so, you know, the exemplars for us are Jesus, first of all, right? Read Philippians 2. Um, And then also people like Paul and John and the other apostles and other godly people in Christian history that have uh, tried to love God with all their their mind and all their strength and uh, who have served others in a self-sacrificing way and advanced the cause of God's kingdom. And yeah, the exemplars are going to be very different um, in other religions. You know, it could be a monk who uh, gave up all his property, became celibate, did spiritual exercises, did a thousand prostrations a day, said a certain number of mantras a day, and uh, eventually got a, got a better birth next time around. And eventually got out. So, I mean, we don't believe that is a good method, right? It's not going to get you what we think the cure is. Okay. So, arguably, all religions have this sort of teaching. Here's what's interesting. Um, There are things that it's not clear if they're religions or not. It depends maybe how you want to define religion. Uh, But they clearly have, especially the diagnosis and cure, and they, they probably have methods and exemplars, and they probably have those seven dimensions of religion in some form or close to it. So think about communism. Have you ever studied, you know, the ideology of like Maoist China or Stalin-era Soviet Union? You should. It's really dark, but it's, it's very interesting. Uh, but take someone who, who reads uh, the writings of Karl Marx and foolishly believes them. What do they think the diagnosis is? Well, all of history is a struggle between the, owner, the, the owners of the means of production and the working people, and uh, the owners are oppressing the working people and exploiting them constantly. And the cure is to have a worldwide revolution for the, uh, the workers to rise up and seize the means of production, and we'll, we'll, we'll enter into a golden age where all things are shared equally and everything's fair and just, and it sounds ridiculous, and after you watch the way that communist countries have face-planted in the most violent and bloody ways in the last hundred years, it just seems totally ridiculous. But people give their lives for this. There's probably hundreds of thousands of people that died for this cause. So it plays the same role in their life that traditional religion plays in a lot of people's lives. Okay, so here's my question for you. Do you have non-Christian friends based on their actions, based on their values, based on what they say, what do you think 
they believe, is the fundamental problem facing humans? And what do you think they think the cure is for that? Because if you can understand that, you can understand where they're coming from. So, uh, look, I've left some room on the handout. Grab a pen. If you think you want to answer this on your own, start writing. Uh, if you want to talk to your friend about it next to you, definitely do it and see what you can come up with. Um, I'll tell you what I've come up with based on teaching college students for 17 years. But I'm, I'm interested in what you come up with. So let's take a couple minutes and do that. All right. Why don't we come back together? I want to hear what some of you guys came up with. Who has a diagnosis and a cure they would like to share with everybody? Something you think maybe your peers believe, at least some days of the week. Sean? Diagnosis is the world uh, limits freedom. Cure social activism on behalf of minority groups. Yeah. You know, lately, the uh, trans, uh, you know, like take up the cause of the trans folks uh, and immigrants. And, uh, you know, if we could just have opportunity for everyone to be whoever they want to be, then the world would be, we enter a golden age of untold joy and peace. You sound like you've talked to a lot of millennials. <laughs> In fact, that was one of the things, I mean, that's really similar to one of the main ones I came up with. That I call it liberationism. So the, the diagnosis, as I wrote it down, was... Um, you're prevented on acting on your deepest desires by the man. And the man is whatever oppressive forces, you know, racism, sexism, fill-in-the-blankism. You can't act on your deepest desires because of the man. You can't be who you really are. Um, and so what you've got to do is just find whatever your de deepest desires on and just defy the man. This is really destructive stuff. I mean, one problem is you may not know what your desires really are. There's a lot of crazy experimentation that goes on. Here's a, here's a true story. Right, so you, you might try out polyamory, inventing your own gender, all kinds of things, things that you later deeply regret based on this ideology. But here, here's a simple illustration that was real life. Um, when I was 15, me and my best friend used to roam the neighborhood with our powerful slingshots. We thought we were some kind of mighty hunter men, okay? But we didn't have those, those dangerous steel balls. We just had stupid rocks that we picked up off the ground. So we could never hit anything, okay? But we'd go around, we'd shoot at birds, and the rock would go sideways. And what we had, this was our entertainment, okay? So my friend is walking home from school one day without the slingshot, and he sees a squirrel. And he goes into mighty hunter mode. He gets a rock, and he pegs the squirrel and kills it, and then he cries. <laughs> He didn't know what he really wanted. He thought he wanted to kill that squirrel and be a mighty hunter, but he, he didn't have any idea, right? So it's kind of like morning after regret, like, oh, what did I just do, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it ignores human nature, basically. There's, we, we know what kind of things human needs, and you don't have to reinvent it. You're a human, whether you like it or not. What, what else did you guys come up with? The diagnosis is that the world is somehow out of balance and there is darkness and evil in it. Um, the cure is to tolerate everyone and otherwise silence, defeat, or destroy those who are seen to perpetuate the problem, either large groups of people or individuals. So it's just people aren't accepting enough. And if we could just violently bash people into accepting everybody. Yeah. It's a strange view, isn't it? Because... Um, Everybody doesn't tolerate and accept some things. 
If you see your neighbor beating their kids, you're going to call the cops. What are you, intolerant? If you know a guy that beats up his girlfriend, you're going to try to convince her to leave. And you're going to tell her people not to date him. Right, so if you find out what people's worldview is in this sense, you know, that you can then challenge it. You know, does it really, does it really fit the facts of experience? Is it really as plausible? Our diagnosis and cure work. You can observe it in people's lives. They get rid of that guilt. They get rid of that self-hatred. Uh, they love God. They love other people. And they're now they're people that you want to be around. And they don't despise the human race anymore. So this compares well to other diagnoses and cures. What else? I know there's a couple more out there. Environmentalism. What about it? What's the diagnosis? The way we live today is going to earth. So here is we got to get rid of all those things to change how we live. That's a big hypocrisy. There's nobody wanting to give up anything. Yeah, this one hits home because I have friends that I love who uh, have replaced any traditional religion with this. And, um, right, yeah, the diagnosis is we're hanging by our fingernails about to fall off the cliff because we've just sucked Mother Earth dry. There's no more milk in there. It's like an empty balloon. And um, if we don't immediately, you know, adopt sustain... Sorry about that metaphor. Uh, <laughs> just be glad I didn't have any PowerPoints. Um, right, so the cure is, yeah, we're going to magically live off the grid. Everybody fantasizes about living sustainably and having zero carbon footprint, you know, and... You, uh, you heckle people that are against this on your iPad, and you drive your Lexus and live in your air-conditioned house. Well, but you fantasize that you're out in the woods. You know, it, it, it doesn't work. I mean, there's people that try it, but the, thing, the interesting thing about that is um, every uh, 40, 50 years, the dire predictions turn out to be utterly wrong. You know, it used to be global cooling in the 70s. And then the oil was all going to run out, but then we figured out how to get it out of the shale layer, and now it's not going to run out. And I, Look, I'm not against uh, responsible environment stuff. I don't think anybody is really anymore, but um, do you believe in God? Do you think God is going to let us self-destruct, or do you think God is providential and in charge of the great flow of history? You know, I think it's usually based on the view that we're totally on our own and just sort of we're in danger of kind of nuking ourselves. But, yeah, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a strong misanthropy that comes along there, too. It's not in all environmentalism. The older variety was based on human values. We want to preserve it so that humans can continue to use it and enjoy it and love it and, and you know, soak in the beauty and so on. So that's humanistic, human, human value-respecting environmentalism. A lot of times now, you know, man, mankind is just the, the invasive species that's infesting the place. And it'd all be better if all of us just committed suicide and let the plants and the animals run free. But uh, is that true? I mean, look, it seems to me that diversity of species uh, and natural flourishing of natural environments goes hand in hand with our taking care of things. Right? We're, we're the only ones that even care about all these things. Gee, it kind of looks like we're designed to be in charge of the place, <laughs> you know? They kind of sense that, too. Yeah, what else did you come up with? What, what kind of 
Those might be some of the biggest ones, yeah. So the ones that we kind of came up with for people that we've talked to is um, that there's essentially just inherent evil and, um, and darkness, you know, on earth and that's the In people or in social systems? All of it. The world is evil. There's just, there's just bad all the time. Um, and their cure is, is to try to escape that and just protect self. There isn't, you know, a lot of people I talk to, they don't, they don't have a hope. They haven't figured out a cure other than to just try to protect self and escape from the everyday evils and finding ways to cope of alcohol, smoking, drugs, even, you know, too much exercise. Like, people find a way to escape because that's their only temporary band-aid kind of cure that they have. Yep, so the escape's only mental. And boy, does that not work. Holy cow. I mean, that's just a train wreck, you know, what happens when drugs, uh, pornography, becoming comic book man from The Simpsons, just never growing up, you know, and just sticking with childish pursuits. I love, I love this one episode of The Simpsons where, you know, you know a comic book guy. Worst episode ever, that guy. Um, <laughs> There's one scene where he's, he's walking along, you know, drinking a Slurpee and reading his comic book and talking back to the comic book. And uh, for some reason, Springfield gets nuked. He looks up and he sees the bomb coming down. And he goes, I've wasted my life. <laughs> like, yes, it's funny because it's true. Um, what do people do when they confront their kind of childish escapism? Usually one of the first things they do is they seek God. You know, they, they realize that they can't handle things on their own and that their uh, escapism isn't working. There's a, there are a lot of escapes, aren't there? The thing about um, when you have a false diagnosis and cure is you're going to bump up against the edge of reality and it's going to hurt you enough to get your attention. If a person says, well, I would just be happy if I was just rich and famous, you know, why are all these unhappy rock stars out there that kill themselves and go, uh, have constant addiction problem and 17 marriages? I mean... Hmm, that doesn't seem like a real good plan. What else? Who else has one? We're here to talk about a cosmic accident, and uh, the cure, I guess, is to rage against the dying of the night or something. Uh, or, uh, yeah. Just, it's just here. We have to cope with that. This is like an existentialist defiance. Yeah, so you're, you're going down in flames, but you're going you're gonna to give your finger to the whole thing on the way down. That's, that's your victory. Then comes avoidance too. They use avoidance to get away from it. That's a pretty dark view. You have to think that God has put more hope in the human heart than that, and that at least a lot of those folks will hope that that's not true and be willing to consider something else. Because it's not much of a victory just to be defiant. For me, I think most of my non-Christian friends don't actually think about these questions. Yeah. Or they jump around different ones at different times. Remember when you're a little kid and you're like, well, I remember thinking like at the last day of the second grade, that bell rung at 2.30 and now I, I'm now not a second grader anymore. I'm like, I am finally a big kid now, <laughs> uh, right? The way people think is, you know, I'll finally be happy. I'll finally be well off if I can find a boyfriend, if I can get married, if I can have 2.5 children, a cat and a dog and a nice big house. And then they find it's not so. People need to keep keep reflecting. It's not just a question of peace of mind, I think. It's a question of, are you really in an objectively good position? If you have eternal life, 
it doesn't matter if you're poor, if everybody hates you, or if you're an unwanted uh, outcast, a minority in the system. It doesn't matter if you're unsuccessful in your business. You're destined for eternal life. You got it made. That's a powerful hope that we have, right? Because you don't even have to be afraid of death. Whatever, that's just a pause. I have seen a lot of those coexist bumper stickers. I work on a college campus, and you know, so I've seen a lot of that, you know, liberal environment stuff. But uh, it just made me think uh, a lot of people have this attitude of just that the division is the problem. Yeah. A lot of people's idea of a cure for that is to abolish religion, especially Christianity altogether. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these views are really just based on ignorance. Like, sometimes a student will tell me that, uh, don't you know religion's the main cause of wars? Have you ever studied wars? Well, you can find some religious wars, but it's usually about property, and somebody wants to be in charge, and uh, some side has a grievance, and World War One and World War Two weren't primarily about religion, nor exactly was the Civil War. I mean, these are the really big wars that we know about, right? About division, I kind of got a sense last night when we were talking about all the bad things people think about Christians. One response is to feel guilty and let's try to do better. But you also have to realize that a lot of it's based on ignorance, like they've never known a Christian or just known a few or drawn really quick, harsh judgments based on the way a guy's dressed. Oh, he thinks he's better than me. I mean, one of the big ones that I run across is, uh, why do you guys hate gays? Now, I've been a Christian a long time. I have to rack my brain to find someone that really hated gay people. Those clowns, the what's their names in Kansas? Yeah, it's like a church of like 20 people, all from one family. <laughs> but they're media darlings, right? Because uh, they, they love to, pres- they, they fit the stereotype. I'm not sure what to do about that other than um, get, get to know people and have them find out these stereotypes aren't true. But, I mean, uh, or, you know, why, why do you guys think it's bad to be gay? Well, look, the traditional view is not that. It's that God, gay sex is against God's will. That's it. You can't be blamed for uh, having a desire, generally speaking. So, no, it's, it's never been part of the platform to hate gays. Sometimes people, what they do is they, uh, in our unthinking, politically charged environment, they'll find the left or the right-wing person who's like the most extreme talk show screamer, and they'll be like, oh, that's what those people are. Um, I, I lived for a while in, in the, the godless Northeast, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a, a lot of them think that um, Christians are just whatever, like the worst Republican they can find, yeah. thinks. And now this is ignorant, because um, you don't have to be a Christian to be a Republican. And um, there are churches that, that make a big mistake of politicizing the whole thing. Right? So then they, we've got to keep the gays from invading our schools with their propaganda and so on. They think that's hating gays. Well, it's consistent with hating gays. But anyway, that's just not something that we teach. It's just that we have a rather strict sexual morality. It's also strict on, you know, unmarried people and et cetera. Did anybody else have one, another one they wanted to share, a diagnosis and cure? 
problem is that people are mean, and I think in general, you know, like we, and so all the mean things, if we just stop being mean and be nice, then we can, you know, the world can be a better place. But it, it and that's where you get like, when I mean, people have different ideas, for instance, on how um, med medical uh, budgets and things that the government should be taken care of. What happens is one side will say the other side is evil or bad, and they're, they're being mean. Yeah. Rather than they just have different ideas of how to fix the problem. Right. Yeah. The same thing in religion. Different political philosophies. Just, you know, I've met a lot of nice Muslims and Hindu people and all kinds of stuff over the years. And, and uh, just being nice does it because you have to agree on the problem first mm -hmm. and then on how to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of what people have said. But then the other one that I was just thinking about is, is science. Because I have a, my, uh, we call him Bio Dad, Bio Grandpa, because it's my biological grandpa. But he kind of hasn't been in the picture because he left when he was young. And he was a Christian, um, but he's like totally left and he's really big into science. And um, I think it's like Walt Disney. Uh, I think he got, before, or after he died, he was frozen in cryosleep. So people mm -hmm. put a lot of hope in science. And so it's like the idea of we're evolving, you know, like X-Men, you know, we're going to grow wings or gills. And if, if we just put more research into science, we can find the cure to death, because that's one thing that's similar between people who are in science and the people in religion. Death seems to be the main problem, mm -hmm. and they either say that it doesn't exist, death is just a change of state, or if they do agree that it's a problem, you know, in the science view, well, one day we can figure out how to keep replicating cells, and so they look to science. Yeah, sci-fi kind of fantasy. Yeah, and yeah. really believe, you know, yeah. sci-fi does yeah. culture does replace religion for some modern people. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, science and religion is a big topic. I would, I would just give one piece of advice, which is if someone tells you science says this, watch out, because that's very often just some ideology that's been attached to science. So if they say science says, for instance, there's no life after death, what science would that be? Chemistry? Geology? Maybe psychology. Like there isn't a science that's going to give you that kind of answer, right? Um, or science says that there is no God. Like which science would that, is that part of biology? Because it doesn't seem like it. So there's, there's usually a philosophy, a philosophical underpinning of naturalism. And uh, they're just putting the brand name of science on what their philosophical opinions are. And it usually goes back to destroying religion because a lot of your... Uh... Uh, what's the guy? He's a younger guy, Harrison, Sam Harrison. Yeah, Sam Harris. Harris. Yeah. He's probably my, I would say, probably my favorite atheist. But because he says a lot of really interesting stuff, and if you ever hear George Peterson have some cool conversations. But they think that there's certain aspects to morality that are good, but religion as a whole are bad. We just focus on science, which is factual. We won't, then we won't argue and we won't fight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, religions are trying to be factual when they. When they uh, tell you the diagnosis and cure, those are supposed to be facts about the world, the real world, and about the human, human beings as such. A lot of times, uh, uh, someone who wants to wave the banner of science, they think that all knowledge is scientific knowledge, or all knowledge is empirical knowledge, or something like that. These should be challenged, but anyway, that's another topic. I think I'm out of time. Sure. So I have an answer for the science thing. Okay. First, who do you think invented science? Uh, <laughs> and physics. 
and right. second, a lot of theists, really. I mean, in history. And um, uh, when I when I was in college, I took a biology class because it was required for my major. And practically day one, she told us she taught us the difference between natural science and the supernatural. The supernatural cannot be proven or disproven by by natural science. Yeah, science is by definition based on empirical observation. Empirical observation can't deal with certain kinds of facts. Like last night, we were talking about moral facts. Imagine you see another guy, one guy punch another guy in the face. Did you just see something wrong? Well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Okay, but uh, science isn't going to tell you the answer. Maybe these guys are just playing a fun game or they're rehearsing a movie role, right? And uh, maybe nothing wrong was done, but maybe the first guy just assaulted the second guy. So there is facts about whether it's right or wrong. Science is not going to tell you. you know, science is going to tell you if it's right or wrong to abort a fetus. It'll tell you that if the fetus feels pain at a certain point and things like this. It'll tell you what's happening at different stages of development. So science is not qualified to answer, well, lots of questions, lots of even historical questions. Human reasoning is broader than science, and human reasoning was around long before there was any science. Look, science did not, in the, what, we, what we mean by science, it didn't really exist before about the early 1700s. I mean, before that, there, there was natural philosophy, but we probably wouldn't call it science. But anyway, yeah, human reason's been around before, and there's still more to it than there is to science. Science is a subset of, of human investigation. So, Thanks so much, guys. For more about Dale Tuggy, check out his website, trinities.org, where you can get his podcast, as well as a blog where he writes, and some other resources. Also, I've recorded several other podcasts with Tuggy that you should check out if you're interested in him, where he talks about his book called What is the Trinity, as well as his own journey of faith. That's all available in the podcast feed or on restitutio.org. Additionally, I wanted to read out a comment I received on interview 40 with Chuck Whitlock called How Much Does Truth Matter? by Kim Magnuson, who says, I want to thank Chuck and Sean for a very informative interview. I'm one who never gave too much thought about the Trinitarianism or Unitarianism, but even as a small child, when first being told about the birth of Jesus, it made sense to me that Jesus was the Son of God, not God the Son. An interesting story is that I had lunch not long ago with a pastor at our local church, which is part of Foursquare. He had invited me to lunch because I had expressed that I really believed in a God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Since that Unitarian view is not shared in that denomination, I gave him some written material the week before lunch, and then we had some discussion, and he was very understanding. On the light side, he came to me the next Sunday and pulled me aside, kind of chuckling. He said that when he had gotten home from our lunch, his wife had asked him how it went, and he proceeded to tell her our discussion and my thoughts on the Orthodox Trinity. Then he said that his wife said right away that she agreed with me, and that this is how she had always thought, also with there being God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. There are so many verses in the Bible pointing out God as the Father and Jesus' obedience to his Father that it went pretty smoothly in our lunch. I know that I'm a little bit unorthodox, being pretty much a Unitarian with a nonviolent belief, much like the Anabaptists.
That being said, I do appreciate your insight, Chuck, into your situation. I agree that being true to the apostolic beliefs of the first century is a great guide. God bless. Thanks, Kim, for writing in. I appreciate your efforts here to be honest and to share the truths of Scripture with your pastor and with and with others that you come in contact with. In my own my own family, my mother grew up as a Southern Baptist in the Carolinas, and she also never believed in the Trinity. She went to Southern Baptist churches all her life, and just it never, for whatever reason, sank in. And so when she eventually did have a conversation with somebody about it, they told her, well, you you believe in the Trinity. And she said, well, no, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. So, I mean, I think there there are lots of different people from different places, and not everybody drinks the Kool-Aid. So I think it's exciting when we see this, and then it's also exciting when people step out on faith in that. So thanks for running in, Kim. If you would like to add your voice to the mix, why not go over to restitudio.org where you can find Podcast 146, or All Religions the Same with Dale Tuggy, and drop a comment there. Or check out the interview 40 that I did with Chuck and see what he says about the importance of truth and how to deal with that as a family. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.